Happy New Year if I haven't seen you since the New Year started. And if I have, I hope your New Year is going well. But if you're statistically normal, uh, I have to, some bad news for you. If you made a New Year's resolution, the second Friday in January has already passed. What does that mean? Over 90% of you have failed on a New Year's resolution. That's what that means. <laughs> but hey, we've got some better news. We're in a series I'm really very excited about. It's called The Power to Change. And this isn't just change like your behavioral modification. No, this is the spiritual transformation. And here's what's exciting about it. It's, uh, it's from a book by a guy named Craig Frischel. If you've ever heard of him, he's a pastor in Oklahoma of Life Church. And you can, you can buy that book and read it if you want. It's, uh, it, it, I read it, and I was like, man, this is good stuff. I need to share this. So this is where the information comes from. He's got a lot more in the book. Where we've been, uh, we started with on this stuck. And I want to pause here for just a second because last week the action step was to pick one keystone habit that you're going to do that's going to make a difference in 2024. Now I know what you're thinking, what is a keystone habit? We'll get to that in a second. Today we're talking about who am I, you can see where we're going, and you can always find us on YouTube, Facebook, and or the website wordserve.org slash sermons. So starting back with Unstuck, I want to do a recap here for just a second because we talked about identifying a keystone habit. Keystone in an arch is that one thing. If you put that one block in there and it's a good keystone, it will hold the entire pressure of the arch. But if you take that keystone out, everything else collapses. So when it comes to New Year's resolutions and forming new habits, a keystone habit is that thing that's going to hold it all together. And they typically recommend a keystone habit be something around diet, around sleep, and around exercise. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about how many people picked a keystone habit because uh, I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> no, I did pick one. I shared it with you last week, but here's what I want to share. I, I hope that you find a keystone habit, and my keystone habit that I shared last week was I vowed to get at least seven and a half hours of sleep per night. Now, I will tell you, if I had to rate that how I'm doing on a scale of one to ten, I'm about a six, and it's, it's because I'm so excited about stuff. I can't turn my brain off, right? I got all these things I want to be a part of, all these ideas I want to engage in, and I just got to learn to slow down. So that's my personal struggle. I'll just put it out there. Next week, please ask me, hey, did you get your seven and a half hours? I need to be accountable, all right? So that's your assignment to me. But your assignment is to find your key extra, or your uh, key, keystone habit, easy for me to say, right? So maybe it's uh, I, I'm going to only eat from the outside of the uh, supermarket, right? <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to do that because yeah, I do chicken or chicken fried steak. I mean, come on, right? So uh, the other thing might be around exercise. And it doesn't mean like I'm going to lose 15 pounds by the end of June. What that means is I commit three times a week I'm going to exercise. Whether it's walking, whatever it is for you. But commit to that. And then watch that keystone habit start to form other habits for you that lead you to where you want to be, right? So that's just a brief recap. Today, we're talking about who are you? said that who am I if you're, if you're from your perspective, but who are you really? And the thing I want to ask you is, if I were to say, hey, turn to your neighbor right now and ask him, who are you? What are some of the things that you would probably bring up? Just open forum. What, what would you talk about? Who are you? Perfection. What's that? Perfection. Perfect. Your perfect. Your job. Okay. Grandma. Grandma. That's a good one. Grandpa, that's the best, by the way. You spoil them, you sugar them up, and you hand them back. It's awesome, right? What else would you talk about? Who are you? Children. You got your children. You talk about your children, okay? What else? Christian. That's a great one. 
name. That's that's another one of those no moments, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, a lot of this though, and as I hear the stories, it one of it's just a, a role that we inhabit, like your children, your grandpa, your grandma, your mom, your dad. It might be your title at work. You might talk about what you do at work, but you know what we mostly do is we talk about what we do, not who we are. What's the difference? Well, the things that I do might be I go to work and I do these things. I, I have hobbies that I do these things, but who am I, really? You know, if you, if you peel back the layer, it's the, it's the below the depth answer that they're really wanting in that question, who are you? The Christian probably comes the closest to us. I'm a follower of Christ. I, I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, and I struggle with that. I'm, I'm trying to get better. That's really who I want to be at the core. Now, notice what I just did there. It shifted from who I am to who I want to be. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands either, but how many people, when I picture this, I ask you that question, who are you? And now I'm going to ask you a second question, who would you like to be? Is there a difference in those answers? There is for me. I'm not who I want to be. So if there is a difference between who you think you are and who you want to be, man, you're in the right place we got a deal for you. We've got the power to change, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Who do we want to be? One of the best uh, instructions, instructional letters, I guess, in the Bible for me is Ephesians, because in Ephesians, Paul is writing to a church that's struggling to live out their Christian faith. And so when in, in other cases he has a specific reason to write to a church, like they're arguing or they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do here or there, they're trying to fix a, a certain problem, Ephesians is one of those where it's just instructions. How to live like a Christian. And I think that's a great place to start today because here's the thing that I've learned as, I, as I, I've known this all my life, but I've never been able to articulate it. And, and this is the simple fact the who determines the do. Like who you think you are will determine what you do. And sometimes you can take that backwards. What you repeatedly do is what you become. The do informs sound like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> awesome. I will publish a book. I will. Yes. All right. <laughs> so if you're playing the home game, <clears throat> Ephesians 4 is where we're going to start this morning. Do a little bit of a different thing with the scripture verse. Uh, we're just going to put up the verse that I'm going to be reading uh, instead of trying to have you follow along because the word is really meant to be heard or followed along with here. And I'm going to put the main idea that we're trying to get across in a thing. Thank you, Jimmy, for that recommendation. Wherever Jimmy went. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier. No, 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 17 through 24 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. This is Paul. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. So, did you hear the, the translation?
transition that Paul makes, he's talking about the behaviors, but then he talks about this transition. We, we just put off our old self, and we put on the new self. That sounds really easy when he says it that way. And, and if it were that easy, we would all be in the new self, but we're not. So there must be something in between putting off the old self and putting on the new self that we've missed. And that's what I want to dwell on for just a second. Listen to what happens in the old self, and this is the behaviors informing the, who we think we are, right? You don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. We talked a few, actually it's been over a month ago now, the futility and the darkness that begin to dim the understanding when we disconnect ourselves from God. We begin to see things more dimly. Things become less clear. We, we tend to go with the crowd and do whatever it is that the culture is doing. And the more that we do that, the more that we become that, the do we begin to relate our, to ourselves in terms of culture, in terms of society, instead of in terms of God. As this happens, we are separated from the life of God because of ignorance. Now, this sounds kind of harsh. I can call me ignorant. Uh, understand the true meaning of the word ignorant. It doesn't mean it's not an insult of your intelligence. That would be stupid. It, Paul doesn't say you're stupid. He says you're ignorant. Ignorant means we're just not informed. And, and while we may have been informed at one time, we're not continually being informed when we separate ourselves from God. So what that says is, as we separate ourselves from God, we get this, we, we lack this understanding, our hearts begin to harden, and that starts the spiral down. We become people who are known as people with hardened hearts, who do whatever it is that culture does. In other words, we're not any different than anybody else, even though we're called. So listen to this, separated from the life of God because of our disconnection. Let me pause there and ask this question. What would be a good definition of hell? Would that not be separated from God for eternity? Yeah, that, that, that ultimately to me is hell. We're separated from God for eternity. And here's what happens as we live in this way. We separate ourselves from God. Literally, I'm describing a living, a living hell. That's what we do when we separate ourselves from God. We create a living hell. Now, if you are in that right now, for whatever circumstances, you feel like that's where you are, check your connection. I'm going to be like that computer guy, like is it plugged in? <laughs> because if it's not, maybe this is what's creating this living hell for you. I know I've been there myself. This is how I know this is true, because I have lived this. I have created my own living hell. Fortunately, I've got a very good answer about how to get out of that, and that's what we're going to keep doing. So the, the, the key becomes then to, to put off this old self, to, to, to recognize that that is causing part of our problem. But then we've got to get to this part where we put on the new self. How do we do that? Well, it's the in-between those two verses. We put off the old self. Let me, let me find it here. We put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. This is the part we're missing to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Literally what Paul is talking about, he's, he's not telling us what to think. He's not saying, hey, think positive thoughts and you'll be a great person. No, we're not just talking about changing thoughts. We're talking about a way of thinking that changes. We don't change our thoughts. We change the way that we think. How do we change the way we think? By defining who we really are. Who are you? At your core, who are you? That's the question of the day. 
that says that, so it must be the question for the day. So here's how I think most of us come to who we are. There are influential voices in our lives. From the moment you are born, you are told things about yourself. Now, you might find this hard to believe. Uh, in my family, I'm the youngest, uh, three boys raised up there. And what you might find hard to believe is I was kind of small as a child. Um, kind of small as a person. But anyway, so all I always heard was, well, you're too little, you're too little, you're too little. And for a while, I believed that I was too little. I, I just couldn't do anything. And at some point, that, that I think I told this story before. My, my mother had a great way of turning things around. And she said, because yeah, uh, <laughs> some of you know this, but the other thing you might find hard to believe is I had ears that stuck out and had buck teeth as a kid, as a small kid. So my nickname became Mouse. And, and I love that nickname. It was so empowering. It made me feel like, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, my brothers are hanging on, oh, Mouse, uh, you're supposed to be on my side, dude. No. So Mouse was my nickname. And my mom, and her geniusness as a mom, you moms know this, she said, have you ever heard of Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Here he comes to save the day. <laughs> it's a cartoon. Google it. Yeah. So Mighty Mouse. And every time that she heard that, she said, every time you hear that, you put Mighty in front of it. All right. All of a sudden, I felt like I was wearing a cape. I am not Mouse. I am Mighty Mouse. Right? And it changed. It changed my perspective. So now, every time I got called Mouse, that became incentive. Oh, yeah. I am Mighty Mouse. You don't know who you're messing with. Right? That, that, that one thing, because of who my mother said I was, that influential voice, it changed my identity from mouse to mighty mouse, right? And it just made all the difference. So influential voices have a key part in our life. Now, that's a good news story, but there are lots of bad news stories. And, and parents especially, we have to be careful with our language. How many times do you say, like, you're so stupid? Why can't you get this right? Can't you be more like your sister or your brother? And every time I say that, I pause and I think, what life must have been like for James, the brother of Jesus? <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> but those words form an identity in that child. And those words don't stop there because you hear it from your peers in school. You hear it from people that you work with. You hear it from your superiors at work. They are forming an identity in you if you allow that to happen. But just insert mighty in front of whatever they call you, and it'll be fine. Well, no, it won't, because if they call you stupid, then you're mice. <laughs> Don't do that. You figure it out for yourself. But <laughs> that is not what we want to listen to. The influential voices, yes, listen to the positive ones, but what you really need to do is figure out who you are. There's one thing and other that works against us, and that is the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy it is the father of lies. This is his native tongue. He speaks no truth. How do I know this? Because Jesus himself tells us this in John chapter 8. <clears throat> Let me just read a description of the enemy. <clears throat> he was a murderer from the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me a minute. Stop smoking. That's another New Year's message. <laughs> he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. I'm going to come back to that. When, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He holds no truth. Now, here's the bad news about this enemy. He never takes a day off. There is no Sabbath for the enemy. Maybe that's why he's so grumpy. I don't know. He is constantly trying to tear us down. He's constantly feeding you lies because that's his native language. 
He doesn't want you to recognize what you are. Because what you are terrifies him. It begs the question, well then, what am I? We'll get to that. But here's a cycle that he is hoping to create, the, the, the enemy. He wants to distort our true identity. What's our true identity? We are a child of God. I could just say amen and end it right there, but let's, let's stick with that for a second. You are a child of God. That's the one thing that we must never forget because that too informs great news. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to distort our identity because when our identity is distorted, then we pick up some destructive habits. Well, you know, I, I, I'm just not that kind of person. I, you know, I don't really want to, I want to eat what I feel like, right? So I did that once. I broke my New Year's resolution. Uh, that was a destructive habit, but now that informs my identity. I'm an undisciplined person. I eat whatever I want. That's just who I am. Maybe for you, it's controlling your temper. You didn't mean to say that thing, but it just popped out there. And that, that destructive habit, if you allow it to continue, will distort your identity. And maybe you've heard this, well, that's just who I am. I just can't control it. Really? I think you can. I think the problem is not what you do. I think the problem is who you think you are or who you've forgotten you are. So this is the bad news. This is distorted identity that we get from those negative influences. This causes destructive habits, and the destructive habits feed the cycle of more distortion in our identity, and this is dead, deadly spiral. Right, this is the, the goal of the devil, the, the enemy. He wants to take you from did bad to are bad. You didn't do a bad thing. You are a bad thing. And there is no hope for you. Did I mention that he has no truth in him and he speaks lies because that's all he knows? This is the bad news. I've got some great news. You know how this cycle works? Watch this. Enter one Christ. Boom. Christ-centered identity. That leads to Christ-honoring habits. Christ-honoring habits reinforce a Christ-centered identity. And the cycle now is a good one. It's a spiral up. This is who we are. This is who you are as a believer in Christ. You are a child of God. We just sang about that. And God takes us, his goal is to take you from you did bad to you are mine. You are my child. I don't know if you know this, but he loves you so much that he sent a son to die for you. And not just a casual death. It was a miserable death. Lots of injustice, lots of pain, lots of torture, even. That's how much he loves you. So the key to all this is understanding this idea of forgiveness. This forgiveness is what enables us to accept that, yes, I have done that. And I don't think there's any person in, okay, no, there's no person in this room that can say, I've never done bad. We've all done bad. That doesn't mean we are bad. Unless we allow the enemy's cycle <clears throat> to operate. I'm just going to mute for a second. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> there we go. I promise I'm, I'm stopping smoking next week. All right. <clears throat> key to this is forgiveness. Now, here's why I say this, because if you've ever read in Romans 12, 2, this is where Paul also begins to explain what it is in that difference between putting off the old self and putting on the new self. 
<clears throat> You'll recognize this verse, but let me just read it to you real quick. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. There it is. That's the forgiveness that God offers us. God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Listen to this. By the renewing of your mind. Don't change your thoughts. Change your way of thinking. How do I change my way of thinking, Bill? By changing who you really are. Actually, you don't have to change who you really are. You've always been who you really are because God made you that way. All we have to do is shed the idea that someone is trying to form a distorted identity. We need to come back to who we really are, created by the creator of the universe, uniquely. Then, after the renewing of our mind, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I can't tell you how many people go, Bill, I don't know what God's will is for my life. To which I say, I don't know what God's will is for your life either, but hey, let's figure this out. How do we do this? By not being conformed. Not being distorted by the enemy, but rather recognizing who we are in Christ. And once we change our way of thinking, we begin to pick up other habits. And once we pick up those habits, it reinforces this new way of thinking. And once we have all of that with a little dose of the Holy Spirit, then we can see what God's will is. And I'm not saying he comes down and says, Bill, this is my will for you to do this, 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 and this. Now, God rarely gives me to-do lists. And I wish he would, because wouldn't that be easy? Do you know what God does give me? He doesn't say, Bill, do this. He says, Bill... Be this way. Be one who reflects who I am in everything that you do and say. And I can tell you my track record, my track record is pretty visible in that, but I'm working on it, right? With the, the spirit, I'm working on that. And we can too. We can begin to change that identity, the Christ honoring identity and habits. It'll make all the difference in the world. Now, one thing may or may not do it, but Here's three questions that everybody asks, whether you recognize it or not. This is proven by research. Here's three questions that everybody asks when they encounter a situation they're trying to figure out what to do. And the first one is you ask, who, well, who am I? The second one is you ask, what kind of situation is this? And the last is, what would someone like me do in this situation? Let me show you a couple of examples. Jesus. He's been helping people all day. He's been teaching. Uh, he's dealt with the Pharisees. He's dealt with sick, all, all these kinds of things. It's the evening. It's time where he's trying to kind of decompress a little bit. He's tired. He's exhausted. Yes, he's fully God, but he's fully human, and he feels the exhaustion. And he knows. Who am I? Well, I'm the Son of God. What kind of situation am I in? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm vulnerable. This is when the enemy will attack. So what would a person like me do in this situation? Suck it up and get back out there and teach. No. What he would do if he knows that he's vulnerable, who's the one that he has the greatest connection with that can protect him? His father. So he goes away to pray. But Jesus, everybody's looking for you. He goes, I know. I got to do this because this is who I am. This is a situation that I'm in. And this is what a person like me does when I'm in this situation. I don't plug through and blow it. I go back and reconnect. Because I need to know who I am. Maybe he didn't have as much of a struggle as we do. 
often do we forget who we are? These three questions. Last week we talked about sailing as an analogy. I'm not going to go back through that, but just, just think about this. If you come onto a sailboat and you see a storm, what do you do? Who am I? I'm a sailor. What kind of situation is this? This is a storm. Well, what do sailors do in a storm? They probably throw out the anchor, take down the sail, batten the hatches, and they wait. They don't wait past it. I replace everything I said about sailing with life. Who am I? I am a follower of Christ. What kind of situation is this? I am in a storm. What do Christians do in a storm? on to the anchor. Batten down the hatches and wait it out. But we don't wait passively because we know that storm is going to pass. We know there's going to be a chart, a course charted. We know there's going to be things that follow. We don't just cave and go, well, there's nothing I can do. These three questions can guide us. And by the way, they do guide you whether you recognize that or not. This is a quote by a guy named James Clear who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. I would highly recommend the book if you had not had a chance to read it. But let me read you James' quote. He says, every action that you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs. But, the votes, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Mm -hmm. That's not powerful. So, your who determines your do. Your who determines what you do. Are you who the world says you are? Or are you who God says you are? Because we can listen to the enemy. We can listen to the negative voices. We can listen to the voices of culture, society. We can listen to the latest podcast, YouTube, Insta, Snapchat, Chattagram, whatever it is. We can listen to all of that. But not all of that is true. You know what is true? What God says you are. Here's what God says you are. I made this hard to see on purpose because I want you to understand this is not at the forefront of how we live. What's at the forefront is the loudest, glittiest, shiniest thing. We have so many distractions, but I want you to pause just a second. Really zone in on this. Because you may think, done bad. God can't use me. No, you are redeemed. You are forgiven. Nobody wants me. Nobody likes me. No, you are chosen. You are set apart. People think I'm weird because I follow Christ. You know what I say? <laughs> Great. Because if you're following the crowd, you don't stand out. If you follow Christ, you will stand out. You will be different. You will be set apart. But this set apart is holy living. This is what we're called to as followers of Christ. And I don't have a purpose in life. I don't know what to do. You are I would love to help you find that. The bottom line is, no matter what this world tells you you are, you're a child of the living God. Who are you? You can listen to the world, or as for me, I'm going to listen to God, because he's the one who made me. He's the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. He's the one who knows. God, we thank you that you create a new identity in us. And by faith, 
through grace, undeserved, unmerited, we did nothing. You did everything. You sent your son to die on a cross. You gave us all this opportunity, opportunity to the entire world, that those who believe will not only have an everlasting life, but will be called back into our true identity, a son or a daughter of God. I'm always amazed at the creator of the universe who hung the stars, who separated land and sea, knows my name. He, he knows all our names. He knows what we've done. He knows what we've contemplated or, or not contemplated. He knows exactly what we are. We got because of your son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we are. It matters who we are. We are yours. Help us to live into this. Help us to be our new identity. And help us to have Christ-honored habits.